We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Quick note and an apology before the episode this week. I did not get my microphone plugged in. Those of you who don't like the audio, big apology on my part. It's the default computer audio from my computer. So I'm probably not going to sound as great. We'll work hard not to have that happen again, but apologies, guys. Kyle Pitts, disappointment, but a bunch of exciting stuff from rookie wide receivers. That's most of what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find the Stealing Signals newsletter over at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, not necessarily a fun set of topics today, but we do have to talk a little bit about Lance. I'm not looking forward to it. I'd prefer if we just moved on. But yeah, rough week. Rough week two. Uh, not, I mean, it, it really wasn't. And that's almost what's so heartbreaking about it because there was a lot. There's so much going well. You know, Jalen Waddle, you, we've joked you had ranked top 10 for, for a period of time at wide receiver, way above where he was going, has the monster game. Uh, we get the amazing Garrett Wilson outcome. Drake London continues to be fantastic. We get good news on Traylon Burks, who I'm excited to talk about even though the Titans looked absolutely awful. There were a lot of things to be really excited about. I'm not that worried about Kyle Pitts, which we'll get to. So much to be excited about, and yet the Trey Lance thing really is sort of the headline of week two. Just so unfortunate. It is. And, I mean, there are so many layers to this. First and foremost, it's a human story to where the biggest disappointment by far is for Lance himself. He's going to now head into his third season with the 49ers, having basically not played for three years because of the pandemic being the backup. And then this injury for any of us, you know, to be kind of removed from what you love and what you do for three years. Now, I mean, in all of those situations, He's going to be with the team. He's going to be practicing. He's going to be working on his craft. You hope that he's getting better. Uh, he seems like, um, we don't have a ton of insight on this necessarily, but he seems like a fantastic person. And so, I mean, he's doing a lot of these things behind the scenes. He's not necessarily completely removed from being a football player, but I mean, now you have three years essentially without games. That's just heartbreaking from a real life perspective. From a fantasy perspective, obviously it's very hard too because, I mean, you, you want to make sure you put the emphasis first on the real person. But one of the things about fantasy football now is that you have just this immense community and you have all of these people rooting for you and, and have their own sort of emotional investment in the actual NFL games, obviously the fantasy games. And so, I mean, the collective impact on people in the fantasy community also is very significant. And you think about all the people whose Sundays were ruined and, you know, both feeling for him and obviously now where they are with their team. So we're going to talk a little bit about the team perspective and the fantasy perspective. But again, you know, mentioning that. Yeah. First the biggest foremost, issue is that it's him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. First but, and foremost, it, it sucks for training. Absolutely. And so I was kind of telling you before the show that the first wave of games, Ben, 
was one of my favorites of all time, of all time, right? You have this crazy comeback by the Miami Dolphins. I mean, for us personally, we have Tyree Kill on one of our best teams. We have Jalen Waddell on a huge number of teams. One of the things that was kind of fun when we were drafting the chasing stolen bananas team with Pat and Pete was that some people in the chat were giving me a hard time about having Waddle ranked ahead of AJ Brown for a big part of the offseason. And I think that was wrong. I think that AJ Brown is going to outscore him, even with the difference in their two games in week two. And I did move AJ Brown ahead of Waddle uh in, in the last you know week to 10 days before the season Finally started. Finally figured it out. That's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we had Waddle High and we have him on a bunch of teams. And I was kind of joking with Colum that, I mean, Amon Ra is somebody who looks like he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver. And I wish I had him on a lot more teams and had him you know, ranked in a draftable area. But you try to figure out why you don't have him. And I mean, it's because he still is behind Jalen Waddle. Those guys are going in a similar spot. And so kind of the play here would have actually been to to reach on Waddle, have him on the team, and then put Amon Ra on the same team. And that's one of the areas where you can actually get stuck by trying to make sure you don't get ahead of the game at ADP. But at the same time, you know, you get too aggressive, too confident in your own rankings, and you can you can really get blown out when you are wrong. And we talk about having a lot of humility. Anyway, this early wave of games with Garrett Wilson, Ben, as I was kind of thinking back on the shows and the draft shows and draft season. I mean, we're not right on everything by any stretch. We weren't this year. We won't be in the future. But it, it was exciting for me. I, I mentioned that I don't really mind being wrong for myself, and I don't like when my fantasy teams lose. But part of it is that I'm comfortable with being very aggressive. I'm comfortable with the teams losing, especially in the short term. I like to take a bunch of risks. Often those work in a big way. Sometimes they don't work at all but when we recommend things and they don't work for the listeners then it is hard we want the people who are stealing bananas fans to to do well and so from that perspective it it makes us feel good when we're right for the listeners it does worry us and bother us when we're wrong thinking back to those draft shows and taking garrett wilson basically every show and trying to explain how we didn't understand his adp it seemed to be the most broken adp just in the entire constellation, I mean, just in, in all of drafts, to have someone who was the number 10 overall pick, an elite prospect, to watch what happened with rookie wide receivers in the last several years and to see him sitting where he was sitting in drafts. And this is one of the things that we talk about a lot where you want to structure your drafts so that you have asymmetrical upside. And one of those things is to mildly sell some of the environmental things because those are already priced in. But if the Jets end up being a little better than expected, and we don't know that that's going to be the case. I mean, this could be a situation where Zach Wilson does come in and take this offense down with him, at least to an extent at some point during the season. But already Garrett Wilson has been so good that he seems like the guy who will not go down with the ship. I mean, Corey Davis obviously isn't going to be able to maintain his current scoring. Elijah Moore actually hasn't done that well. You think that the Garrett Wilson emergence probably helps his floor hurts his ceiling as we look to you know the rest of the season but i felt really really good about garrett wilson he has the big game he was actually missed on two end zone targets there by joe flacco this game could have been bigger (laughs) three end zone targets uh on the game one was the fade that was one of the best fade routes you'll ever see run i I made a joke in stealing signals that the goal line fade is a low percentage play unless apparently unless Garrett Wilson's running it because he creates about five feet of separation. And then it's just a little pitch and catch. At that point, the goal line fade isn't a, a bad route because he got so open. Two other ends on targets, like you said. He also had two more targets down inside the five. And he had that that play in week one. You told me about it. I eventually went back and looked at it. I'm not sure if it's up on the show that he, had, he ran the whip route and should have had a, an easy TD, but Flacco threw it outside of him. That was down inside the five. The two other that were inside the five here in week two, one of them was the game winner. He caught, catches it. It's not an end zone target. Technically catches it at like the one yard line and walks in. And then uh, before the fade, he had a, a little catch down to the two yard line in the first quarter. But yeah, ton of work in the red zone for him, which is fantastic to see. 
And you mentioned the separation. You, you know, if you're not watching the game and you know that there are other receivers who maybe are going to play more snaps, you know, they've got even Braxton Berrios potentially causing a little bit of a problem. And you're trying to figure out how he's getting so many targets. Well, I mean, how he's getting so many targets is that <laughs> he separates like he's playing against high school kids. I mean, that you could go from college to the NFL and run these routes and have the explosiveness to where there's just no one near him half the time. I mean, you're, you're going to get targets when you're wide open. So to the extent of how fluky is this Garrett Wilson thing, which I'm getting from some places, it's not. He's really good. Like if you turn on the game and watch him, it's what you just said. He's getting wide open. It's not It's not just that fade that I talked about. It's the play you told me about from week one, the, the little whip route near the goal line, where he was wide. I mean, he went – it's an in-breaking route, and then he spin back to the outside, and he gets the guy moving so far in that when he's coming out of his route, he's there. And Flacco just kind of throws it before he even comes out of his break and, and throws it wide, and he doesn't have time to get there. And if he's just a little bit more patient with the throw or just puts it on target, I mean, Wilson walks in. It's a very easy touchdown. And like you said, he's doing this on – every route and so like i mean it doesn't mean he's gonna score 30 points every single week but when a player shows this skill set immediately at the nfl level in his second game like you buy into it yeah and joe flacco throws a lot of super inaccurate passes a lot of passes where you're trying to figure out i mean occasionally just even who the person targeted was on that particular play but he still has a big arm he's willing to throw it down the field so you get plays like the broken coverage where Corey davis goes for the long touchdown you're going to get some huge performances from elijah moore i mean one of the things with garrett wilson and like how fluky this is is that there are other guys out there so i mean there's only so much the defense is going to be able to do elijah moore is also fantastic just ultra athletic can do a lot of these complementary routes that's something the defense has to account for and then even though they haven't run the ball unbelievably well so far Michael Carter, I mean, he could be Austin Eckler if they didn't have Brees Hall. And Brees Hall already looks like one of the best running backs in the NFL. So His usage was really weird too, but maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at these guys, and this isn't an offense that the defense can simply say, okay, we're going to take this guy away, now what are you going to do? Because they have a ton of weapons. They do, and... Yeah, Garrett Wilson was my biggest signal of the week for the, the readers of the newsletter. They'll know that I, I, I list my biggest signals and biggest noise of the week at the end of part two of these you know big, long write-ups. And I, I have a little note that they are not organized perfect because I'm not going to sit there <laughs> and try to rank everything, but they are um, – I'm going to find the note. I write, vaguely ranked in order of relevance slash importance but i you know i pay a little bit of attention to that garrett wilson was the one that i put at the very top of my biggest signals of week two Corey davis was one of the biggest noises of week two he had the long touchdown but he only got three other targets i wrote he'll have his moments but wilson's ascension in the presence of elijah moore it kind of re- renders Corey davis obsolete and, and there's some positive notes on tyler conklin's usage i mean i, I just think when we look two months down the road it's going to be Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore doing what we talked about in the preseason. This is like T Higgins and Jamar Chase. Not exactly like it. They don't have Joe Burrow at quarterback. Garrett Wilson, not quite the prospect of Jamar Chase, but that's what we, we kept saying. Why is Garrett Wilson going where he's going? Because it's not a bad thing that Elijah Moore is good, just like it wasn't for Jamar. Like Jamar. And, and what we're seeing now, the rookie can come in and actually be the better of the two. He was the higher pedigree prospect he was a top 10 pick elijah was a second round pick had a great rookie year but again we'll never understand garrett wilson's 2022 redraft adp i'm just glad that we emphasized on basically every draft that we did that we were going to take him anywhere we absolutely i mean we were just talking about some of our teams before the show and you mentioned it's it's greedy at this point because we have so much garrett wilson but it's disappointing a little bit that there were spots where we would have taken him but there was one that we talked about we got sky Moore in the 10th round he often went in the seventh or the eighth and so in one draft we're like okay we're going to take you know we we were taking sky more higher mostly based on adp we never had to make that decision in this draft sky more falls we take sky more than garrett wilson doesn't make it back to us in 11 we don't have garrett wilson on that team as a result of sky more falling <laughs> but we would have taken garrett wilson in the 10th round there because we took him the well, we started draft. taking him in the 11th and 12th because yeah. that's where he was going. We were able and to. so, yeah. I mean, you end up, 
I mean, again, it's a, a thing of like how far ahead of ADP do you want to be on somebody who you feel very strongly is going to smash anything in that entire range. The flip side is that if that person goes down, right. then you have holes in your roster, which is yeah. I mean, what we have at the QB position in some of these deals. But before we move off of Wilson here too, I just, I want to mention again, this idea of selecting talent and believing that talent is going to drive volume instead of the other way around that Davis and Barrios were not the issues that it seemed like they could potentially be. And I mean, we have plays like this all throughout the double digit rounds and some of the plays haven't hit. And some of the plays where there were situations where people are saying, okay, well, yeah, we understand why you like the talent there, but there are some things within the context of this offense where we think the offense is going to limit the players. And you think about some of those guys in the early going, like Albert O and Noah Fant. You can be wrong on elite talents at those prices because when you're right, the upside is so valuable to you. Also, as the season progresses, you still have the chance to be right because the talent is there. Whereas when the team realize they've made a mistake and they go away from this very specific way of running the offense, then the plays that required that type of offense, those are all dead, right? So again, you're not going to hit on all of these, but I strongly believe that that way of thinking about predictions, or I should say that way of thinking about projections, that way of thinking about talent, and that way of thinking about roster construction is incredibly important to building these super teams. I mean, we're not going to just sit here and pound our chest all, all show, but that's, I mean, we talk about that. Big shot. That's what we try to, <laughs> we try to tell people all draft season. I mean, we, we, we did our best, right? I, I feel very comfortable with what we put out there in terms of those points. I think they have shown, like you said, to be very valid through these first couple of weeks. It's been so exciting to see, uh, you know, you go back to last year and one of the big talking points we had was how you had, and I loved it and I emphasized it and we talked about it on several other shows, was how so many of these points in the draft, people are taking running backs instead of receivers. And and your point was, just look at who the players are. Like, Don't think about it in a fantasy football context, but who's the better player? And a lot of times it's like, okay, well, we're, we're drafting a Mike Davis last year type running back over a potential superstar receiver, like a Jamar Chase. Those guys are both going in the fifth round last year. It's like, who do I, who do I think is the better football player, right? And so that was the way we talked about it in 2021 a little bit. We obviously hit on these concepts a ton here in 2022, but it's the same idea that, and it's not to knock all running backs, but at a lot of spots, you're talking about receivers that look like they are just incredible football players and can do things like what Garrett Wilson is showing he's capable of doing. And people, you know, are so worried about filling out their roster and this and that and getting balance in draft season. And we try to talk about it in draft season. It's really hard. I mean, I still look back and I go, I made too many running backs, basically. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You, you like you made too many running backs because there are receivers that are disappointing. And that's what we're always saying. You want to be redundant at receiver. There are some that are not doing what we hoped that don't look great. Having Garrett Wilson and, and having, you know, the eight receivers or whatever and and being able to now, like we're only two weeks in, but Garrett Wilson looks like a clear starter on some of these teams over some guys that maybe we took in the fourth round. I, you know, I'm not really thinking of anyone very clear in my head that I, that I can point to that we were drafting that we want to bench from that range. Some of them are hurt though. Like Jared Judy went down. Um, and, and you just get the little things. Gabe, Gabe Davis this week pops up on the injury report. It was really nice to not have to wait till Monday to make that decision in the spots that I did. I had one league where I wasn't, I didn't have anyone to cut. And, and I had, anyway, I ended up with Gabe, Gabe Davis in my lineup. I was like, I got to just gamble on this because I don't have any other, I wasn't deep enough at receiver in that league. It's actually the Scott Fishbowl, and I was just like, I don't have the depth here, and it's a really deep format where I can't really pick up anybody that I could even use on Monday as a spot start. So I just left him in the lineup. I'm sure there are people who didn't drop enough depth that had similar decisions. A lot of the other leagues, it was like, well, you know, we either had Devonta Smith or, or Traylon Burks or guys like that as options on Monday, or it was, I know in one league it was – with someone else not with you Sean it was well we'll just put in Darnell Mooney instead and that didn't go well but like the point is you have a, you know whatever it was a sixth round receiver that you can just slot in when Gabe Davis isn't certain so you maximize this upside throughout and 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 like I said I mean there's a lot of guys, Mooney's a great example of a guy who isn't doing what we hoped for 
and anywhere I have Mooney and Garrett Wilson together, I don't have a lot of Mooney. I'm not sure if I even have the situation, but it's very easy after two weeks to be like, oh, well, Garrett Wilson is now my 6-1-0 pick. He's the guy that I'm going to start every week. So it's that, it, it, anyway, as you were saying, but it's very cool to see, uh, as our buddy Pete Overzet tweeted this week, that in the, the big best ball mania over on Underdog in the main event on FFPC, the number one team in both formats right now is a zero RB team, which you would sort of expect. We talked about how this was a year where there's a lot of 27-year-old running backs or older running backs in those first couple of rounds. A lot of ways been worse guys, than we, I mean, worse than we thought. And we thought it was a risk, but man, it's been it's been so worse. Far. Yeah, Derrick Henry and all of these things. We didn't expect it would be this bad, but the idea was these guys at this age and having shown some of the skills decline are probably not superstar players anymore in the way that some of the receivers that we have the option of taking might be. And and I mean, it's just. Anyway, it's, it's only been two weeks. Again, I don't, I don't want to do too many victory laps or, or, or jumping around, but at the same time, like, there's a there's an element for our listeners. This is not for people who don't play our way. There's an element for our listeners where I want to set, I want to reinforce these points that we were trying to talk about and say, this is what we meant now that we have some, some data to, to explain it better. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things here. First round wide receivers averaging 52.8 points through two weeks. First round running backs averaging 30 I mean, that gap is going to close, but I mean, already the running backs are in deep, deep trouble. So you mentioned not taking victory laps. I mean, one of the things here too, and one of the things that's nice is just that when you are right, you can just relax and not, you know, have to, to worry about a lot of those types of things. But I, I wanted to say one of the things that popped into my head as you were talking about this talent element too, is the sort of the flip side of it, even at running back, where one of the things that I'm so excited about with Garrett Wilson, we have Jahan Dotson on teams where we haven't played him, is that that method of drafting allows you to also get those running back picks in there in the dead zone. And one of the things that we've talked about this season, which I don't think is played out yet, but still could, is that you can also then take some of those running backs who do have the talent, or at least you want to gamble on them having the talent and see what happens to where Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins, I'm actually really excited about having those three guys on teams and what that could mean as we get into the middle of the season, as we get to the end of the season. I mean, just think about 2021 and how it's just so easy to get kind of ahead of the game. So many of the things that determined tournament championships last year, I mean, they were not obvious at all. I mean, you would have no idea that those things were going to play out that way after two weeks, there's so much yet that we don't know. Now, if J.K. Dobbins, it really is week to week, or or if he turns out to be month to month, anything like that, then obviously the enthusiasm for Dobbins is going to diminish. At the same time, I mean, almost even if he misses half a year in a seventh, eighth round pick, I'm pretty excited about him because these kinds of teams should still be alive, right? I mean, for one thing, you're just going to have injuries anyway. You're going to have injuries to guys who you didn't know or maybe hurt when the season started. So then that does take us to kind of the down note, which is that. Well, let's, let's push that off again for a moment. Cause I did have a couple of thoughts on that. You mentioned like ETN, some of those guys and it, it brought to mind James Robinson. And maybe we can talk about these guys value a little bit more in, in the next show, but he's a guy that I wasn't on. I was very concerned about his Achilles. I ranked him very low readers of, of the newsletter will know. Uh, I had him listed as a fade, even in a really low range. And yet he's a really great example of a point I wanted to drive home with this early receiver thing. You talked about taking some of the dead zone running backs and you can do that. But also if you went full zero RB, you have, I mean, we have a lot of these teams that have like Michael Carter, that is been a very solid starting running back, not much worse than the first and second round running backs. That's sort of the point where I was saying, we saw the Daryl Henderson and, and Cam Akers flip in week one. And it kind of closed in week two. Akers ends up with more touches. If you really dug back the, the usage there, it did get a lot closer. But Henderson played more. He ran more than double the routes, even though he wasn't targeted and Akers was targeted three times. I think they were really trying to get Akers going a little bit uh, because of all the you know, news after week one. But they still played Henderson over Akers. I'm trying to buy Akers everywhere, and the Akers managers are not are not budging. Yeah. He's still a guy to absolutely hold, but the change in value and then the change in value probably back 
is the point. The point is that people were really excited about Henderson just after Thursday night football and really down on acres. And you can look at the drafts, even in high stakes formats after Thursday night football, because there are still a lot of drafts that run and see how they, you know, acres fell very far. We talked about maybe not far enough, but fell very far. He's going in like the ninth round. Henderson jumped quite a bit. And now, you know, this value has changed again after week two. The point is a lot of people are saying Robinson over ETN right now. Uh, I was just talking about the Carter Hall thing. And we're so excited about Hall and ETN. Those are maybe better conversations for the Thursday show because we were going to talk about Lance and Pitts today. But there is um, this element where those late running backs, I just want to drive that home too, can gain so much value, <laughs> right? It didn't happen with, you know, maybe like the Melvin Gordon and Javante thing. I'm going to take my victory lap there. Javante, his role expanded in week two. My big point was it wouldn't be 50-50. And by about week three, they would, it would be close to 65-35. It was 65-35 in week two, Sean. Uh, I don't know if that's going to stick forever. I do think it's still going to be a split. But it's really nice to see Javante for you know somebody who, in my case, I ranked him seventh at running back and had him in the same tier as the everyone other than McCaffrey and, and Taylor. I had him in the same tier as Saquon. One Swift. of the fun things is that we did have, in, in terms of things we feel excited about, not necessarily that we're right about, but excited about in our – Projecting the 2023 first round show, we had Swift and, and Javante Williams like solidly in that first round. I mean, it'd be pretty I mean, just it's two weeks, right? But it'd be pretty surprising yeah. if you get to the end of the season and those guys are not like the 105, that 106 way. next year. Yeah, the way that the way that they've been used so far, Broncos offense hasn't even looked good. Javante potentially a buy right now. I don't know, but very. I, I I was just saying I was nervous about that ranking for my for my subscribers. Again, not trying to get you up as much as saying like I was worried that I was too excited about what I was, but I felt like the analysis was right. And I mean, he looks to close to him. Jonathan Taylor. As he looks a great. I mean, he looks And Gordon hasn't looked bad. That was the whole point. The whole point that I was trying to make was that Williams is the guy that they were more comfortable with in the offseason. They waited to, to sign Gordon. And if Williams looks like he did in year one, that they're going, that's, they kind of tip their hand. They're going to say, this is our guy. And well, Melvin Gordon said to anybody who yeah. would listen, that I mean, Javante Williams is going to be the guy. I, in terms of like a little actionable note here, I do think that people should be buying Melvin Gordon sure. anywhere you can because this offense good. is going to be better. And it just sadly, running backs do get hurt. I mean, everybody gets hurt, but the type of I mean, Javante Williams is one of those rare guys who actually combines the thrashing, whirling dervish element of a Marshawn Lynch and a David Montgomery with the explosiveness of a Dalvin Cook. I mean, he's going to take a real beating the way that he runs. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get hurt, but and hopefully he doesn't because, man, it's so fun to watch him play. Don't put that out of the world, Sean. God, we, we, we're about to talk about a really disappointing injury. We don't need that. But, no, um, Gordon has averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Yards per carry, not a great stat, but has averaged 4.8 yards per carry so far this year, has looked good again. One of my concerns was that he might not. I mean, just as I didn't get everything perfectly right. It certainly was saying, look, he's at 29. There's a, he was great last year, but he's 29 years old. He might not look great again. He has looked very good early this year. And yet, Williams is more than a half a yard per carry better. He's at 5.4 yards per carry. I mean, that's that's what the Broncos coaches are seeing too. And that's anyway. That we, we weren't kind of well, if you have way. basically, I mean, running backs do matter. Right, the, us being zero RB is not a thing where we don't believe in the value of running yeah. backs. I mean, there are people who take it much further than we do in terms of running backs not mattering. I mean, the the trap you can get into is as a reality coach is feeling like they matter too much. But if you have a player like Jonathan Taylor, if you have a player like Javante Williams, I mean, those guys are a big deal, and they have to be a focal point of your offense. I mean, one of the weird things, the reason that the Colts got so humiliated in their game is that. Jonathan Taylor was actually flukily stuffed on a handful of carries early that just ruined their offense because they had nothing else. When he was able to break three a couple times in the second half, they're like, oh, we finally moved the ball you know, into the red zone. Of course, then Matt Ryan has to go, go back to the controls. And I mean, that situation, a disaster, probably again, a topic for a different show. But then we were so excited, so excited. And after the first wave of games, I, I, record all of these games i watch them very quickly and fast forward sort of as they're happening a driver two here a driver two there going through the different games trying not to get too many spoilers get through five or six games it's about two o'clock in the afternoon um west coast time here 
I go have lunch with my sister. So excited. Like the greatest fantasy day ever. I get back. I'm getting ready to uh, start watching the second wave of games. I look down at my phone and I have this text from a Benjamin Gretsch that says, I don't know where you are in the games, but the Lance thing sucked. And just like my entire body. And like it's happening to me again as I say this. Just you're, you're it's funny because last week you were so excited about the games. You were sending me some notes knowing that I watched them all at the same time that I would have already seen them. You were, And so I, I try not to send you to – I really try not to send you anything because I know you're usually behind. You watch them sort of one at a time and stack them. But you get through all of them for the most part on Sunday. Um, and, and anyway, you were sending me some notes that I was like, oh, man, he's gotten really through it in week one. And so in week two, I figured maybe you'd be on the same spot. But after the Lance thing, I didn't I – didn't, uh, I didn't message you for at least an hour after it happened that I didn't know you were going to go out to lunch and everything, but it was so funny. Cause I mean, not funny, but I, I got a lot of messages from people. And I'm like, yeah, I'm watching the games. Like I didn't want to hear from anyone. I was like, I don't want to hear from you. Like, I'm sorry for you <laughs> also. Right. Like no one, I don't know. I mean, and, and cause everyone's feeling the same way. And so a lot of people are reaching out to me and saying the Trey Lance thing sucked. And like yeah i know <laughs> it sucks yes we're all feeling very very uh down right now um but like an hour or something goes by and i, I did some other stuff that i'm talking about in a minute but i i came back and i was just like i kind of want to chat with sean about this but i i literally i waited as long as i could because i was like i'm not i don't want to be the guy who tells you <laughs> so that when you told me that before the show today i was like oh man I still wound up being the guy who told you. Yeah, and uh, everything can change in an instant in fantasy and in reality. The second wave of games, really the polar opposite. You have the Lance injury. You have the Falcons with this frantic comeback like we saw from so many teams. The Arizona Cardinals finished theirs off. And Kyler Murray, I mean, he's got some issues maybe as a leader I think he's got some issues as a passer. That competitiveness is fantastic. He willed them back, ran when he needed to run. Raider is just an atrocious second half. Also an atrocious second half from the Rams, who don't look at all like a Super Bowl Oof. contender. Oof. But you get Arthur Smith deciding that maybe we'll come from 28-3 to three down by not using Kyle Pitts. That part disappointing. You also have the Broncos debacle where – Jerry Judy injured early when it looked like he was going to be a focal point again. And maybe that's seeing it through the lens of wanting him to be that. But again, getting open when some of the rest of their offense was struggling, they have the hilarious element where the fans are chanting the play clock for them so they can figure out how to get the plays off. The second wave of games, not nearly as fun. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.
not fun. A lot of run-heavy teams. But, yeah, the Lance thing. I wrote about it in, in Stealing Signals in the intro. As you mentioned, the, the first thing is just immediately, like, you feel horrible for Trey Lance. Like, we're rooting for these players. I Obviously, when we start talking them up and are very excited about them, we're, you know, more inclined to root for those players. But like I, you know, like the James Robinson thing I mentioned, I'm very excited for James Robinson. I think it's an incredible story. He's a guy I was not in on. And I'm like, as a fan, just like, wow, by by for what he's done and how quickly he's come back and how good he's been. And he looks like his old self for the most part. I had a little concern there on his breakaway run. Um, wrote about stealing signals, but just a little concerned about his long speed. But I thought he looked uh, you know, hair has looked great for the first two weeks. And it's been like, honestly, like, I, I mean, it's not just saying it, like I, as somebody watching it, I, I'm not going, you know, I, I want him to not do well. Like I, I'm genuinely just like, this is cool. You know, I mean, we have a lot of teams and sort of is what it is in terms of the stuff not going well sometimes. But anyway, the, the guys that you really like are the ones that you really, you know, you pull for and you root for and you, you start seeing them through rose colored glasses and a biased lens. And you're, and you're a fan of them. You know, I was I did this last year with Justin Fields all year and and I wrote in Silent Signals after week one. And it seemed like Trey Lance is going to be my Justin Fields this year because I didn't think his week one was that bad. And we talked about him last week. And But also there's the element of our teams. And for me, it was this acute awareness and a very selfish one, but pretty quickly, that the Trey Lance teams didn't do great in week one because he didn't have a great game. A lot of them are Trey Lance, Kyle Pitts teams. These guys didn't put up a lot of points. Um, a lot of them are 0-1. And one of the things I would say, and I, I didn't know it necessarily, but I'm a obviously a, like sort of an analytical guy. There's things that I'm thinking about. I didn't like put this in my mind, but I was really – looking forward to Trey Lance playing well. I, I I think I knew somewhere subconsciously that a good Trey Lance game would go a long way for a lot of my teams to get them back to one and one. A lot of overwhelmingly the teams that I had that went 0-1 in week one were the teams where I drafted Trey Lance or there's a big correlation there. And so it was an excitement level of that's of anything I wanted in week two specifically, it was Trey Lance to come out and have a great game against the Seahawks who I've been talking about as, you know, being a joke for the whole offseason and I was so excited to see that. Also for the for the rest of the season stuff and everything else, you know, the, my own talking up Trey Lance all offseason, wanting to see a big game early, wanting, you know, I, that there's nothing that I would have rather seen yesterday than Trey Lance play incredibly well. It just would have been a very optimistic and positive thing on a lot of levels. And so, again, the selfish element of it, when he gets hurt right away, it's an immediate and acute awareness that these overwhelmingly 0-1 teams now have an early injury, which means very low points at the quarterback position and are now very likely to go 0-2 on top of the fact that they don't have Trey Lance for the rest of the year. And just like some of our teams are not going to work out. That's why we draft a lot of teams, Sean. I mean, some people ask me, like, how many teams are you playing? They're so wild by it. It's like, you know, when you put as much time into it as we do, there's a diversification. There's, we were just talking about with Garrett Wilson. Like, right now, we're sitting here feeling like we didn't have him in enough teams. And yet, there's a possibility that, you know, injuries can happen. I definitely don't even want to put that on the world with Garrett Wilson. But, like, that that happens even before he has the game like yesterday. What if he got hurt in week one? We would have, you know, been feeling the opposite. Why did we have so much Garrett Wilson? So we try to balance those things as much as we can, as well as being pretty, you know, within the context of being pretty aggressive generally when we think things are very wrong. And Lance is an ADP that we felt was pretty wrong all offseason. We thought he should be in the, the top seven, basically, right behind Hertz, right behind Kyler, and in that tier for most of the offseason. I moved him back a half tier with the Garoppolo stuff. But part of that, to be completely honest, was just I already had drafted him so much. It's like I need to move him. Sometimes I do that with my rankings where I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm moving guys down just to temper myself because – in every draft I'm in, he seems like the best quarterback value. And his, his ADP dropped a lot late, and so we added a lot more Lance. Ended up with plenty of Lance bags. But you you don't want dead teams in Week 2, obviously. And I don't think all of these teams are dead. But an 0-2 team that has lost Trey Lance is now, in the way that I was viewing it, the way I told you before the show, was this idea. 
basically this idea of like expected value of the team. When it goes 0-1 and Lance has a bad first game, the expected value drops a little bit. And every time it gets worse and worse, you start to think of this team as one that's probably not going to win and make you know do anything very positive for you. The second Lance gets hurt, there's this idea that that small drop in week one that could have easily rebounded in week two, and you could be one and one and be very optimistic about that team and feel like it's great going forward. It has a positive expected value for the rest of the year. It immediately is saying, you know, this feeling of, okay, now we're 0-2. We don't have Trey Lance, which is a big part of how this team does well, is this thesis that Trey Lance can be a top-five quarterback. The expected value, now, how does that team make the playoffs at 0-2 and, and, and doesn't have that key player, that early quarterback pick? expected value idea is the way that I would articulate it because to me like that was sort of the feeling is like these teams are now like they're not dead they're not completely gone but they're maybe you know 15 percent to do anything now they're, they're very low now I have to have everything right at running back and receiver and tight end and I got to find a replacement a quarterback to overcome the 0-2 deficit right <laughs> let alone then get the luck in the playoffs and all of that stuff um so from the very selfish level that was, you know, I mean, it's weird with a quarterback, but it, it kind of makes sense because so many of these teams were, you know, one elite quarterback and no other quarterbacks on the team and they're deep formats so where there's not a lot of quarterbacks available. And we are redundant at receiver. So if a receiver gets hurt, that's really unfortunate, but we have a lot of them. And we're also redundant with late round running back options. If one of them gets hurt, you can kind of just waver them away. I probably would say that Lance and Pitts are the two guys that, of anyone, individual players with you know where i ended up with exposures that i wouldn't want to, to fail because they are harder to replace with the way that we're building our teams essentially and so anyway lance especially because even with pits i mean there's uh, you know a lot of those teams i drafted a second tight end and the tight end premium format over his ffpc or what have you i, I think with pits he's going to be fine as well but the lance injury just probably the one player in the entire league i didn't want to see go down and I wrote in signals that I kind of went through the five stages of grief a little bit. You know, immediately was like, oh, he, you know, he could maybe be back in a couple of weeks, even though you know, they bring the air cast out. That's never good. You know it right away. You see his, his reaction right away. It's that denial thing. Starting to do some bargaining, you know, telling myself that QBs don't really matter and seasonal. I'll be able to replace it. It's about the running backs and the receivers starting to, you know, all these things. But then I, I wrote for my, my Signal subscribers. When I got to the depression stage, I decided to leave the house and go to Taco Bell. It did what any self-respecting adult would do. <laughs> and and I, it, Sean, it was the first time in years that I've left the house on a Sunday during games. I can't remember the last time. I thought it was you were going to say it was the first time you've been to Taco Bell. No, <laughs> I ate Taco Bell more than I should. <laughs> I mean, maybe the most insightful quote I've ever heard is, "What's the point of being rich if you can't eat a Taco Bell every day?" That's a great, that's a great quote. I mean, we don't have to deal with that situation yet, but we're also eating a Taco Bell, so. <laughs> I try not to eat there too much, but um, yeah, I was just like, I, I want Taco Bell. Uh, I, 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 what I what I wanted was to not be watching the games anymore, and I didn't watch them very closely for another hour or so. Um, especially that Niners game, it was really hard to just even watch the game. I'm not trying to make anyone feel sorry for me. I feel like I, I got a lot of responses from that intro on Stealing Signals and a lot of people saying that it articulated how they were feeling. That was sort of the point of me writing it was not, it was a little bit cathartic for me, but it was, I think that this can be a lonely thing. And if you had Trey Lance on your team and you're dealing with some of these emotions, it was hard, I'm sure. And I've, I've watched a lot of player injuries. I've had this feeling a lot and I've never gotten up and left watching the games. I've been bummed, but you know, I, I read Stealing Signals. I've been doing it for seven, six years now or whatever it is. And I, I need to keep watching the game. It's like my job. I take it very seriously. The Lance one broke me a little bit. And, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners felt similarly to what I was just describing. So the main reason I'm sharing it, again, it's not for anyone to feel sorry about me. I don't want anyone to feel that way at all or, or to hear it that way at all. I think there is probably some power in acknowledging that we care about this stuff more than we should. Maybe we're grown man children. I don't know. But um, this idea that, that, you know, this stuff can suck sometimes. And, and if you are feeling that way, hopefully, hopefully just knowing that, uh, that it's not just you, it's a lot of people. So I had this conversation with a lot of my readers who reached back out to me after I wrote about it and said, 
and you described how I was feeling very well. So hopefully some of our listeners uh, feel the same way. Again, not talking and telling that story for any reason other than that. I hope. Uh, well, you say care about it more than we should, but I would emphasize that an important part of having a good life is that you need to be fully engaged in the things that you're doing. And so, I mean, if you are spending your time doing fantasy football analysis, if you're spending your Sundays enjoying football and, and watching the games to have a good life, you've, you've got to be emotionally invested in that. And so, you know, the downside of being emotionally invested and having an engaged life is that, yeah, I mean, when things don't go well, it hits you and it should make an impact and it does make an impact. For me, the biggest issue is, is on the best ball side. I talk a lot about not overly diversifying because you diversify yourself out of the results that you would get when you're right. And so you never have the big wins that you need. And then in the years that you're wrong, you also don't win. The downside of that is that you, if you have a year where you're wrong or you have a year where there are significant devastating injuries then yeah i mean you, you lose a big chunk of the money so especially when we talk about the two elite quarterbacks in the window element of best ball if lance is one of your two qbs in the window on a lot of teams those teams have a big hole blown in the roster now there's really no way around that i mean the second qb could play well enough to keep you alive if the rest of your team is unbelievable connor and i have this team that is Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, has Patrick Mahomes, and has Garrett Wilson, which is fun because obviously if you're going to start with those running backs, you need to have some of those other wide receiver hits. But its second QB is Trey Lance. And so now you go from having Mahomes Lance to just having Mahomes and your path gets much, much narrower. So you're still hoping for the miracle in those situations. I think it's disappointing because we didn't get to see right? You mentioned losing the guy early in the season is a big blow. Losing him in a game in redraft where you started him and you get the two points and you go to 0-2, that is a big blow. But just not being able to know now whether or not the thesis was going to work. I mean, I think you have to have some concerns about whether he would have been able to hold up to Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts and those guys because especially Hurts looks like such a huge hit and he's really exciting to have on a bunch of other teams so from that but from that perspective you know we just we would have liked to have seen so much anticipation yeah just wiped away from a redraft perspective i do want to pretty positive though. i guess i'm still very optimistic have some lance teams that are two and oh and the one that we drafted as part of the contest with eric 2-0, and a fun team. you got to figure out a way to now get across, have some main events that I drafted with some other folks. You and I, fortunately, actually don't have a ton of lands on our main event teams. We do have a couple. Those teams aren't looking great. The other teams, then it just it's a really exciting start. But I have a lot of lands in main events, and they kind of run the full range of 2-0, and 1-1, 0-2, and 0-2 if it's stacked with pits. You're, you're thinking it's not just 0-2, but the point total is very low. And so from that perspective, you've got to dig out there as well. I think the hard thing for me when looking at these Pitts teams and thinking about our readers and listeners is that if you're 0-2 in a lot of home league formats that are win-loss based, it's now a long road back. If you don't have that points avenue, then it can be trickier. Hopefully in some of these situations, you do have fantasy quarterfinals so maybe six of the 12 teams make it you get into the quarters your team and i think that's more common I, I was just gonna say you know a lot of what i was saying about the redraft teams was related to the higher stakes stuff the the, the deeper lineup stuff um and because of the way the main event works the playoffs for the league start week 13 they go week 13 and 14 and then there's the three-week shootout weeks 15 16 17 so you're talking about a 12-week regular season where you're 0-2. Now you have 10 games. If you're 0-2, the path to making it based on record, I mean, you almost have to go undefeated. And, in, and, in and all format. the leagues are different, too. I mean, you have some leagues where it, it it's almost like a, an 8-4 and four 
will be like a tie for first. Yeah. But you do In have that some because only four too. people only four people make the league playoffs as well. But what I what I, what I was going to say is in the in the more casual leagues, you have a 14-game regular season. You, often six teams are making the playoffs. At 0-2, I think you're actually not in that massive of a hole. I, I think that actually gets overstated. That was something I wrote about in my intro on Monday for the people who started 0-2. And especially because a lot of those leagues are shallower leagues, there's guys like Tua Tagovailoa available for you to potentially go get, and he might even be better than whatever Trey Lance might bet. We just said we... Our discipline, we didn't get to see what Trey Lance was going to be. And it's possible that he was going to have a bad year. And I, But the, that's the thing where I'm just like, I I wish the guy could have just played and failed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just it's so it's so disheartening. I, I really genuinely would have preferred that, to just be wrong. And I would have gotten bad scores in my, in my lineup all year. And these teams are better off that I can replace him if that was the only alternative, right? And yet I still would have preferred that because, it, you know, it's something where you can think through it differently. I mean, in terms of, you know, mentally how, how you're reacting to something like this, but anyway, in the casual leagues where, you know, a two is available or there are a lot other quarterbacks available. And I think that that is important because one of the things that we've seen this year is that a lot of these top QBs are separating as expected, especially Josh Allen and then the hybrid QBs who were hitting. And then that was part of the thesis for Lance. It may not have played out that way. But you also have some extremely inexpensive quarterbacks. I mean, late round QB is not an impossible path. I mean, it's still a way to play this. Carson Wentz is not a good quarterback, but he has a ton of weapons and the commanders are going to trail. Jerry Goff, not a good quarterback. It was amazing how inaccurate he was in leading the Lions to score almost every possession. I mean, he looked bad and yet I'm on Rice St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Chark, who didn't catch any of his four targets because they were terrible passes. And Jamison Williams is coming. Jared Goff is going to score a ton of fantasy points this season. You mentioned Tua. I mean, he's a very obvious one. But we also have the rookie quarterbacks potentially coming. Malik Willis could be someone who's out there for you during the fantasy playoffs. Probably not yet. And then we're not very far away from seeing a quarterback change in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm really excited about Pickett. That was the name that I gave my subscribers. As I think you lose Lance, you go to two QBs in most formats. You got to have one to start now. They're, they're sticking with Trubisky for week three on the short week. He's going to play Thursday night. It's on the road. He has not looked good in weeks one and two. They did get a win in week one, but their defense was dominant against the Bengals. They basically won in spite of Mitchell Trubisky, and then he looked real bad in their loss in week two. If he looks bad again on the road Thursday night, I've been saying it since the, the preseason, basically, but I thought we'd see Pickett by week four. I'm encircling that game because it is after a Thursday night. You get a 10-day break. You get the home game. A lot of coaches like to start their rookies off at home, and they get the Jets in week four. So if Trubisky plays poor again, they fall to one and two. My expectation is I, – I, I wrote this week that it's better than 50-50 that Pickett's starting week four. I don't think that means it's a lock, but it's. I, I do think it's better than 50-50 because Trubisky's played bad, and I, don't, I think, first of all, for him to play better is a low-probability situation. On the road, tough tough environment in Cleveland, short week. Um, I think there's some possibility if that game gets out of hand, we see Pickett on Thursday, and you know they get him some run and then start him in week four. I also think if they don't start him in week four, if Trubisky has a decent enough game in week three, Maybe they go to two and one. Maybe they win that game. If Trubisky plays poor against the Jets, they have a really tough upcoming schedule after the Jets game that they might have a quick hook with him in week four. We might see Pickett come in in that game and then say, hey, all right, enough's enough. We can't let the season get away from us. We're two and one, but in spite of you. And, and they might go to Pickett during the week four game. So I think there are a lot of paths that by the end of week four would be we might see Kenny Pickett by that point. And Pickett, when I wrote about him this week, went back and looked at his preseason numbers i didn't i don't pay a ton of attention to the preseason numbers i thought he looked good i talked about that in my preseason write-up i talked about it a lot on the show as we talked about Deontay johnson who i thought looked good with both quarterbacks and some of the preseason usage pick it through 36 balls completed 80 percent of them for 200 and something yards it's like a normal one game 36 attempts is like 260 280 yards three touchdowns no picks of the 45 preseason QBs who had at least 35 pass attempts, 
He was second in passer rating. He was seventh in, in PFF's grading. Now, those 45 quarterbacks are mostly all backups, right, that had 35 pass attempts in the preseason. But he didn't play poor. He played very well, actually, against backups as well. I mean, it should be noted. I, I was He's not no very Sam in. Howell is what you're saying. He's no Sam Howell. I wasn't very in on him, but I wasn't very in on Herbert. I said this to you before the show. You were in on Herbert as a prospect. I was not. So to me, I'm thinking of it a little bit like that, where I, I was wrong from a talent perspective on Herbert. And he, as a rookie, wound up being very relevant in redraft. And I think this situation specifically, we talk a lot about situation and the talent around you. You just mentioned it with Wentz. They're going to throw a lot. He's got good weapons. I don't like Carson Wentz, but I can sort of buy into that a little bit. Pickett is a guy who I think is in a similar situation. They're not going to be able to run the ball. Their offensive line can't run block. They don't run particularly well. And they've shown from a team perspective, they're willing to throw quite a bit when they trail. And he has a lot of weapons. I mean, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, that's as good of a group as anything you were just saying for the Lions or, the, or Washington. I think I would take it. Well, Deontay Johnson has looked better than he's looked in these previous yeah. seasons where he was this monster target hog. Fryermuth is taking a step forward in year two really looks already ready to join having that star echelon at tight end has only caught 50% of his passes so far because Mitchell Trubisky is pulling the trigger, but his ability to get open, to catch touchdowns, to do all those things that you want sure. tight ends to do elite George Pickens. I mean, maybe if you had better quarterback play, we'd be talking about him right. in the same breath as someone like Garrett Wilson. I mean, I I'm not in on chase Claypool, but I mean, Claypool, a physical talent, Somebody who's going to be hard for the defense to account for. He can elevate a quarterback's efficiency with some plays, right? Um, the way that I would describe that is they're going to elevate whatever pick it is and make him look better. The situation should make him look better. If he's not great, but he's playing, he could still have decent numbers, serviceable numbers. I would basically compare it to Daniel Jones, who has been terrible. We thought Brian Dable's past first offense and not even really having great weapons might actually elevate him. A little bit of mobility there, a little bit of mobility with Pickett. I think Pickett's a better bet than Daniel Jones at this point, who I was actually a little bit excited about from that same vein in terms of like what they might be as a player, but being in systems that might elevate them a little. The point that I want to drive home further, though, and the reason that I think he's worth stashing now before Thursday night, because I think there's a possibility we get him named as the week four starter before Sunday. So I think it's worth potentially picking up Pickett on your bench to find some new information here in week three. In a lot of formats, he'll be locked if you don't pick him up. Right. He'll be locked in. I think there's this possibility that Mike Tomlin's the type of coach that in the post-game press conference will just tell you, hey, we're going to pick Kenny Pickett in week four. Like, they already had that decision made. If Trubisky plays bad enough in this game, we might hear that in the post-game press conference Thursday night. I'm not saying that's likely or anything, but it's it's a possibility. They got 10 days to prepare, and that would be the time to go to Pickett if you're going to go to him. And they waited so long to name Trubisky the starter. That's the other big element on this. Well, we've heard some rumors that they might – really prefer to do the whole Patrick Mahomes thing with Pickett, which in some ways is odd. I mean, in a lot of ways is odd, but there have been so many examples of teams that didn't really feel like even elite quarterbacks were ready. The Texans didn't want to go with Deshaun Watson, even though they had someone who was not even a good backup that they were trying to run. Tom Savage. It makes you feel like, uh, old-time television shows there is, is yeah. the direction they're going. You have Herbert, who would not have gotten to play necessarily if you don't have that horrible situation where the Chargers doctors managed to puncture Tyron Taylor's lung. And those guys were stars. Kenny Pickett, I don't think a prospect anywhere close to the level of either of those two players, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't be a good, solid NFL quarterback. He couldn't be someone who really helps the team it's just this very difficult dynamic when you're, you're an NFL head coach and you're asking the question, can the quarterback run the offense? When you talk about being risk averse and these teams do want to run their offenses, which you can understand, but they can move so far in the direction of the conservative take of, we don't want the mistakes and we want the player out there who understands the plays. We need to let the other guy have time so that we don't hurt his career by putting him out prematurely. It's not just about winning now. It's also the long-term for the younger player. Again, we have so many examples of when that guy does get in there 
if he's good, he can play. And even if he makes mistakes, he can elevate the offense in ways that the backup or the guy who is starting but should be the backup cannot and elevate the team, elevate individual players, and improve the fantasy situation for both the weapons and the quarterback himself. That's the thing that I've really slowly been trying to get to is that the error on Pickett, if we're wrong, is all pretty positive. He can he can potentially be good in redraft. And like it, I was saying, like I'm comparing him to Daniel Jones, but if we if we miss, we're 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 already saying he's probably not very good. Daniel Jones is not a guy who I think is a very good NFL quarterback. And I'm I'm saying the situation could still elevate him to potential startability in, in one QB leagues or a team that lost Trey Lance, if you will. But if we're wrong and he's even like can play like a league average level, I'm not saying great, but if he can be what Mac Jones was last year in the Steelers situation, I think that would actually be, you know, not not a top five fantasy quarterback, but he could be a top 10, maybe over a stretch, right? He could be QB 10, if you will. And that's where the Herbert thing comes in. His rookie year was very um, relevant in, in redraft. So anyway, I, I'm definitely wish casting a little bit. I but you lose Lance, and I'm I'm still emotionally not all the way back. So I, I I've decided to just push all of my chips into Kenny Pickett, I guess. But I I do think it's interesting uh, from a strategic perspective if you have Lance to roster a second quarterback, make it Pickett. You should get more information in the next couple of weeks. If they do want to do what you said and wait on him for a lot of weeks, that's fine. You can cut him again after like week four if he's not playing, or Trubisky plays better, or whatever. And then you make another bet as your second quarterback or, you know, use that roster spot for something else. Maybe you hit on whoever the starter is you're picking up, if it's a Mariota or obviously if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to, to add Tua or somebody like that, you probably don't even need to worry about Pickett at that point, honestly, if, you, if you're able to grab Tua. I think we, we should be very optimistic about what we've seen from the Dolphins through two weeks. But you're trying to find some quarterback upside somewhere. Um, Pickett's a place to, to make that first bet and then, the way I was looking at it is I want to I want to tap into all of the rookie class to try to throughout the year now kind of churn the way we do with running backs, get some more information on Pickett here in the next couple of weeks. If he's not it, you cut him, you then move to Willis or Ritter in the midterm. And if we don't see those guys in the midterm stashing Howell for the later term, I think Wentz has done enough that he's probably got a longer leash than I want him to. Um, but I do still hope we'll see how like maybe in the fantasy playoffs and, and you might be looking at a situation where on a Lance team, you're trying to just get there. And we t- that was the other point I didn't really finish because I'm taking so long to make my points today, but 14 game season, home league, six teams make the playoffs. You start on one, two, you got 12 more games. I mean, if you can go, I don't know, eight and four, you're eight and six, you're probably getting into a 16 playoff. And if your team is good enough that you were at one point thinking they could be a top team in the league during the regular season, you would have expected him to be able to go eight four over a twelve week stretch. I mean, that's just sort. Of, the way I put it is like if you thought your team was good enough to go fourteen and zero at one point, or twelve and two, or ten and four, or whatever. Now they've started zero and two. They're not going to get there. But the, the biggest reason zero and two teams don't end up making the playoffs is most of them suck. I mean, if your team's good in zero and two, there's still this possibility of it coming back and going eight and four over the next twelve weeks. That's a type of record that our good fantasy teams already do through the first 12 weeks in a lot of cases, they go eight and four. So that's not like, oh, everything's going to be great. Uh, so I just like, don't quit on your season because your team's 0 and 2. If you're in a 14 game regular season, I mean, you have a lot of possibilities. You could go 10 and 2, not even 8 and 4. I've, I've definitely had teams start 0 and 2 and rip off eight straight wins. I mean, I had a team one year that started 0 and 6 and won seven straight times and made the playoffs. I mean, you can do that. Like if your fantasy team is built a certain way and a lot of the teams that we build are built to get better with these Garrett Wilson type breakouts and a lot of them are already hitting. So don't give up too quick, but you're trying to find QB upside. I think that churn idea of getting some more information on Pickett now, maybe treating Ritter uh, and, and Willis as midterm options for a stash to see. At the same time, you're going to need a quarterback to play during that, right? So I'm saying sort of a two quarterback plan with your roster whether it's Mariota or Wentz or whoever, you're starting somebody to get some quarterback points. I can't get Ben to say Jared Goff. <laughs> Jared Goff, maybe Jared Goff. Somebody who can give you 15 to 20 points. And then if you're running backs and receivers and tight ends are good enough, you can still win that way. That's the great thing about the quarterback position is even the bad ones score fantasy. Yeah, and that's from a fantasy perspective, probably the biggest takeaway is that you lose some of the upside, but you can, I mean, quarterback is the easiest position to replace. So purely from a game perspective, you're still in it. 
and your point about the 0-2 and, and what's the actual caliber of your team, we're still early enough that the actual caliber of your team is where you want to be focused, not necessarily your record, not necessarily the points you have scored. If your team is 0-2 and, and even hasn't scored that many points because you had multiple players injured early in games, that's a very different situation than being oh, you know, 0-2 or even 1-1 or even 2-0 and if you're 2-0 and because your opponents didn't score very much and you hit on some veteran games that simply aren't going to be sustainable. I mean, there are some veterans who have scored points and who may be in lineups, and there are going to be some 2-0 and teams in some leagues that are frankly just not that good. And you don't necessarily have to worry about them as you go forward. And I think that you articulated that well. Well, Ben, we'll be back with another yeah, we'll episode. Talk, we'll have to talk Kyle Pitts on Thursday. I promised in the intro we'd talk Kyle Pitts, but <laughs> we spent too much time on the quarterbacks. If you're owned to because you have Kyle Pitts, you have a fantasy championship to still look forward to. That is the tease for the next episode of Stealing Bananas. We'll be back with you guys soon. I am Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz using the coupon code RV Radio 2022 to get a 10% discount at checkout. Subscribe to the pod. We're still you know, trying to work through exactly what the end season schedule will be. We're going to try and have as many of these as we can in part because we just enjoy chatting. We talked for an hour before we started, which got us off to a slow start here. Sign up for the feed. You'll get these when they come out. Leave us a rating and review. We appreciate you guys so much. Hopefully you are 2-0, but regardless, week three is going to be awesome. We'll talk to you guys soon.